2: Before we start, please be advised that there is some bad language and there are themes of trauma and suicide in this conversation. Hi there, I'm Jake Humphrey. This is High Performance, the podcast that reminds you that it's within. Your ambition, your purpose, your story are all there. We just help unlock it by turning the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. And once again, this episode is about you suspending your opinion and coming at it with empathy. The person that we're talking to today, you no doubt have an opinion about them. You've seen the stories, you've read the articles, but none of those represent who this person is. Because behind Rylan is a guy called Ross. And that
3: is who we're talking to today. Everyone thinks Rylan is this character on X Factor. And I walked into Celebrity Big Brother. I was just being myself I'd sit there with no makeup on Hand down me trousers Being mates with Razor Ruddock And Frankie Dottori Sitting there drinking beer Taking the piss out of Kathy Bill Because we found it funny Like, you know That's what it was And then people just went Oh, he's not this idiot Singing a Spice Girl mega mix Flying down from a trellis in the ceiling It's actually quite normal You know, I didn't want to see anyone. I hadn't left the house. Um, I became really agoraphobic. My mum called Ruth and (laughs) Omen. And they turned up at my house. And I didn't want to see them. And I just remember breaking down, going, just get out. I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to see anyone. They'd driven two hours to get there. All of this. But they did that. They did that not because it's going on Instagram the following morning. Not because they're going to get kudos from people because they've put it on Twitter for likes. They did that because they cared. So a fascinating
2: episode of High Performance at the start of 2023. Once again, it's someone who has been interviewed numerous times, who you've probably heard from many times, but you've never heard them talk like this. They've not done an interview with these kinds of questions before. And that's what this podcast is all about. Taking the lessons that Rylan has learned in his life and making them useful for you. And if you're sitting there going, Rylan, High Performance? He's had over 10 years at the top of the TV game. And I know from personal experience how hard that is. So how has he done that? What have been his behaviours? What have been his struggles? Ryland will talk to us in incredible detail about coming back from a breakdown. And when you were as low as he was, and you got back, and you managed to find yourself again, then that truly is high performance. When you live a life where you speak up for people who are being disregarded or discriminated against, that is high performance. When you bring a rare and special energy to the room and to the conversation like Ryland did, then that is also. High Performance. Prepare to learn so much more about a person that perhaps you already thought you knew. Today, we talk to Rylan on the High Performance Podcast. Look, thank you very much for doing this. It's a pleasure. It's much appreciated. What is High Performance?
3: (sighs) It's a difficult question, isn't it? Yeah. I think it depends on what mood I wake up in. High Performance can be actually getting out of bed. Or high performance can be getting up and proper taking on the day. What is it today? I'll let you know in a minute.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, let's, let's talk um, about where it all started for you because I've read mm. your book. We both have. It's absolutely fascinating. Thanks. And you've got chapters where you say Ross meet Rylan and Rylan meet Ross. Yeah. So the first thing is, I guess, who are we, who are we talking to today? Who do you want? I think we'd like to talk to Ross. All right. You've got Ross then. And is it that easy for you to switch between the two? Absolutely. So who is Ross then?
3: Just a normal boy, literally. Normal little stepney green kid, managed to do all right for himself. Ryland's obviously all the teeth, the tan, the tight skinny jeans. That's Ryland. Ross's tracksuit, beer in hand, hand down his trousers, watching telly.
2: Who of the two is the happiest?
3: That's a really different... Ryland. Ryland's the happiest, 100%. Because he's got to be, he's paid to be happy. There's
2: something in that though, isn't there? Because Ryland is the happy one. Mm. He's the one paid to be happy. Ryland, I guess, is the one earning all the money, right?
3: Yeah. Ryland's doing well out for himself. It, Rylan's doing very well.
2: <laughs> Yet, Ross is there all the time. Ross is the truth. You know, when all mm. of this, can, you look, we both do the same job, let's be totally frank, that yeah. eventually this stops, okay? Yeah. Fades away. It ends at one point. And that's when actually the only thing that is left then is Ross. Yeah. So, what work have you done to make Ross happier because that's the that's think, the most
3: important part. I think mainly over the past year I've tried to merge my work and professional life and, and my personal life more. For Ross I mean I sound absolutely crazy talking about myself in the third person with four people. Um, but I think for Ross I don't think I will ever be happy until I feel comfortable. And I think Ryland's very, very comfortable with where he is. I think when it comes down to my work life, I'm lucky to do the jobs that I do. I work hard at the stuff that I do and I earn amazing money for it, which I'm grateful for. And that spills over to the real me. Ross means I can live in a nice house. It means I haven't got to worry about my heating bill this year. I haven't got to worry about this. But in a very ungrateful term, it's not just about that for Ross. Like, absolutely not. You know, I'd like to be... With someone, I'd like to share. I'm, I'm quite a sharer. I like giving to people. I like looking after people. And for the past sort of year and a half, I've been not doing that. And for the first time, Ross has had to be on his own. I've never been on my own. I've never lived on my own in my life. I'm 34. Coming to terms with living on my own and getting to know me, I think has actually been the best thing that, that could have happened. I went to Barcelona this year. First time I'd ever been anywhere on my own just for three days because I knew I had to do it. I knew like that was my time to disappear on my own and throw myself in at the deep end. A lot of people do that daily. I've never done that. Um, and it was the best thing I ever did. It was the best thing I ever did.
4: So tell us the moment you get into your hotel room in Barcelona, you close the door and it's just,
3: yes, it's just you and you. I actually remember this almost like a film. I try and remember like scenes and, um, I put my suitcase on the bed and the first thing I do whenever I'm in a hotel, I am that bloke. I hang everything up, put everything away. The suitcase goes in the suitcase rack like I like linear. I like it like that. And I did that and it was just silence. And I was like looking around and I was like, I've got two options. I can either sit here and think I'm by myself, I'm panicking, I don't know what to do. Or I look at it as you can do whatever you want to do as quick or as slow, or you don't. It's entirely up to you. I can do what I want. And I just thought, well, wow, I can do what I want. I want to go for a walk. It's something I don't do here. And I walked from one end of Barcelona to the other. And halfway through, I took my top off. I never do that here. Didn't care. Did not care. It was almost like cementing that I am still a normal person and I can do normal things if I really want to.
2: So let's talk then about where this normal life disappeared for you. I mean, I sometimes wonder whether meteoric success is healthy for anyone. Is it possible to have meteoric success and enjoy it, be happy, be healthy, in your
3: mind? I think so, yeah. For me, I became famous overnight. Literally within three minutes of one piece of television, that was it that's uh, the, the place I started is documented. Like it's there. Um, and that's not to say before that I wasn't working towards stuff because clearly I was, otherwise I wouldn't have been in that situation. But to go from being able to walk down a street and look like shit after a night out and go and get some milk to doing that and it ending up, in Heat magazine, ending up here, people stopping you, asking you for photos. Yeah, it's quite difficult, but my feet weren't touching the ground at that point because I was on I was on the X Factor and w- that was a complete machine. And by the word machine, I mean machine. You are a part of that machine that has to keep turning around. And there's been a lot over the past couple of years about sort of safeguarding people that come from reality TV and, and really sad things that have happened, which I completely understand like and it's devastating stuff that some people have taken their own lives because they don't know how to handle it and aftercare and things like that but for me that cog kept turning so I didn't know what it was like for the machine to stop working and have that sort of brick wall moment so for nine years the cogs kept turning and they never stopped if anything they started going faster and they started getting bigger and they started becoming more Lucrative, I suppose, is is the best way to put it. And then a year ago, I had a marriage breakdown, which turned into a mental breakdown for me. And that was the first time that the machine started to make the noise, slowed down, and stopped. And I was the one pressing the emergency stop button. And I knew I was the only one pressing the button, but I couldn't take my finger off the button. So for five months, I just stopped and shut down. And I think my marriage ending was the catalyst for the machine stopping but actually nine years of never stopping and never having time to breathe and actually understand what happened to me. How did this happen? Everything I wanted, how did that happen? When you've got time to think, it can be the most frightening place in the world, your own head. And that's what happened to me, and it fucked me up. Yeah, it fucked me up.
4: I mean, the description in your book around that breakdown is really quite harrowing to Mm. read there's a bit where you precipitated the breakdown in terms of the way... uh, So when you went to your partner Mm. and told Mm. him about an infidelity in Mm. the past, how much can you now look back at your subconscious was almost looking for uh, Mm. uh, uh, to press that emergency stop?
3: My subconscious has always been spot on. And what really messed me up is why I would throw a bomb on something that I didn't need to or have to. There was no worry there was there was nothing really that had happened like it wasn't a big deal to be perfectly honest without going into detail but something in me was itching and started scratching and it was over the course of three days i got ill i remember waking up and the bed was soaked wet because i'd be sweating in my sleep and i knew what was coming and i could feel it just bubbling up and i'm going what the fuck is wrong with you why are you doing this why why are you doing this why are you it was almost like self-sabotage yeah yeah and that's what made following a few months even worse because I couldn't understand why I had blown up my seemingly amazing life. And then as I started to get better, my subconscious kicks back in and then I learned stuff that I needed to learn. Like what? Uh, Just knowledge. When someone says that you're crazy and you're mad and that you're making shit up, you start believing that if it's said to you, love. When you realise the day that you're not mad, you wasn't going crazy and your subconscious is right, you wake up. And for the worst point of my life, and I got to the lowest point that anyone can get, I almost look back now and I'm glad that I got there because now I know I'll never let myself get to that point again.
4: So tell us, what was that lowest point?
3: I tried to take my own life. I, I, I tried to do it twice. Looking back now, whenever I even talk about that, which is something I don't really talk about. I'm glad I was unsuccessful now, but at the time I was so angry that I was unsuccessful. And I just remember I'd I'd be going to sleep and just willing myself not to wake up almost... I'm six foot four, I went down to Nine Stone. Like, I wasn't eating, I wasn't doing... I was trying to do everything I could for my body to just naturally shut down, basically, because then it wouldn't be my fault. I had too much guilt already with fucking up my life i thought that i'd ruined everything so if i thought if if it was a natural thing that i just didn't wake up in the morning then it's not my fault i think it was responsibility i didn't need any more responsibility than i'd already took all i've done for throughout my career my marriage my everything i took responsibility for everything if the skies broke i'll go and fix it if that door don't work i'll go and fix it like that i'm always the fixer the responsible one I just didn't want any more responsibility and then when I made the decision to be responsible for something as awful as that I fucked that up as well. I was I was just in no state to to get anything done. And how are you doing now? Brilliant. Really good. So what what happened when did the the clouds start to part? The clouds started to part when I realized that I hadn't lost something I thought I had, right? And I turn a situation that I thought was an awful situation into an opportunity. You know, I, w- I was 33, 34, uh, just turned at the time. And I realised that when something's not right, it's not right. And it wasn't right. And that's when things started changing. And I started looking at different things as opportunities, sit there and go, maybe this is my time now to find out what I actually want, what I need, who I am
2: see like you've had an amazing career and we'll get on to talking about how and why you've managed to sustain your success um what did you say in in your book you say you know started out as a joke and 10 years later i'm still laughing and we'll go into that in more detail but i think what is really interesting here is effectively you didn't grow up right from the moment you appeared on that reality show Mm. ross disappeared at that moment Mm -hmm. he maybe have you you probably started to push him to one side before that but at that moment it was 100 percent rylan so then there's no growth for Ross, which yeah. is is truly you, right? So you standing in that hotel room saying to yourself, well, I can do anything I want. I can go for a walk. I can mm. go for food. I can have a sleep. You know, that's what most people go through at 18, 19 when they go to university and then and yeah. dad walk away for the first time. Absolutely. So you've had to exist in this world where you haven't kind of grown because no. the world hasn't allowed you to. But that in itself is really strange because if you go back to the beginning and you say, look at all these amazing things that you can do, you will be the happiest person in the world with a partner and with an amazing TV career. Mm-hmm. And actually, there's a strong lesson here for people that it's not about those external successes, about those TV shows, or about the nice house or the nice cars or the nice pay packet that... And that's easy to that say when you've happiness. got it. Don't yeah. get me
3: wrong. Because I'd be one of these people at home going... True. Shut up. Like, but it doesn't... There's...
2: There's no moment where you go, now I can be happy because I've achieved this, is there? No.
3: No, because I think when you're an achiever, if you want to call it that, are you ever happy? Because you're always striving for more. You're always striving for something else. You're always striving for the best or to be the best, I suppose. And I think for me, I got a lot quick. A lot happened for me. I I mean, a friend of mine's Emma Willis. And, you know, I worked with Emma at Big Brother for years And it took Emma to get Bit on the Side years of working in MTV, working in this, doing that. And then she got that show, which then led on to her hosting Big Brother. I left X Factor in the November, went into Celebrity Big Brother in January, won it, and was hosting Bit on the Side by the June. So it took me six months. So these opportunities just happened. But They didn't happen to
2: Ross though, did they? They happened to Ryland. So Ryland Ryland. was having amazing success,
3: amazing growth learning all the time, brilliant
2: relationships, incredible life. Ross was just parked parked away in a cupboard. So in this period that you've been through where you've, you know, you didn't have to say this to your partner, but you needed to say it to your partner to get out of that, to be where you are now sitting in this chair. So finally,
3: like Ross can actually grow again now. Oh yeah, he is. I am. Like I'm definitely growing. Like, Again, stupid things. Like you say, most people go through at the age of 18, 19, 20. I'm going through at the age of 34 now, living on my own for the first time. Up until X Factor, I was living with my mum. Then I was on tour. Then I was working. Then I built my first house and my ex moved in with me. So I've never lived in a house on my own. I'm doing that at 34 for the first time. And some people it takes until 34. But because of the last 10 years that I've had, it seems the wrong way round. So having that time alone has made me realise that I'm all right with my own company and actually I'm all right. I'm not this fuck up. I'm not this idiot. I'm not this joke. I'm actually normal. And I'm I'm really happy with who I am. And I can look back at my mistakes, if you want to call them that, and actually look at them as turning points of my Are life. Are they mistakes? No. I can sleep well at night.
4: So can I take you back then to that, moment that you've described where you considered taking your own life you were willing yourself not to wake up in the morning and you've and you're now in a position where you can look back at it and go Mm. i'm really glad that that didn't happen and and what and i'm stronger for it for people that are listening to this that maybe are approaching or or are at that rock bottom moment themselves what tips advice or techniques can you share then that that help them get to where you are now, where you can look back at it with gratitude.
3: So I am not a guru. I am not someone who can change your life just by saying something. But one thing I've learned since I did the book is the amount of messages I've got from people. And the general consensus is, I've tried to explain how I feel, and the way that you've done it, on paper, is exactly how I fucking feel. That's it. That's how I feel. I know that feeling... Of people trying to help you and your loved ones, like my mum, my family, my friends trying to help me. People saying snap out of it ain't gonna help you. But one thing I have learned I had therapy. I was lucky enough that I could afford therapy. I had antidepressants, they didn't work for me at first. That's a very, very trial and error thing. I don't even take a paracetamol when I've got a headache. Like I, I like just getting on with shit. I, did, I was very anti all of that Do I think they helped me in the end? Yeah I think they did I'm not on them now I, I managed to come off them Which I'm really happy about But the one thing that I know And I can say hand on heart is The only person who will get you out is you 100% And if you're not at that point That's alright Sit there and stew Feel like you can't get out of bed Don't get ready Don't have a shower That's what I did That's exactly what I was going through. And I understand being in that situation, you might as well be deaf and blind at the same time because you cannot see and you cannot hear. I had two weeks when my speech completely went slurred and my mum thought I was having a stroke. I could not control my speech. Everything happened to me. But what I look back on is little things and it sounds really embarrassing and it sounds really condescending, but you need to look at yourself like a toddler. Going to the kitchen and pressing the button on the kettle is a step. That sounds really ridiculous because it's something we do a million times a day. It's really not difficult. I couldn't make my mum a cup of tea. I had the fear. I couldn't do it. I couldn't listen to music and I couldn't watch TV. They're my job. So I thought I was over. The day that you go, I'm just going to press the button. I'm not making the tea. Let it boil. Fuck it off. The day you do that, that's a little step. And the reason I say toddler, because you sit there and applaud yourself for that. You go, Well done, babe. Well done, yeah. You know, you know what? It's really
4: interesting you say this because there's research. Sorry to jump in there, Ryan. No, go on. There's research on this that have said that that when you're going through a tough time, talking to yourself, exactly what you say, Literally. as if you're talking to a child. Yeah. But talk to yourself in the third person. Yeah. You go, Well done, Ryland, you've it done really, really well today. Actually, keeps you going it gives you that resilience and fortitude it majorly
3: helped me and i'll never forget showering which is something we we all do twice a day once a day four times a day whatever yeah fingers crossed i remember i didn't want to clean myself i didn't want to shower i just didn't want to move and i remember the first step another step on that ladder i would turn the shower on and then go away and then turn it off that's one step i'd turn the shower on I might just put my leg in and turn it off, go away, gone. And then later on, I turned the shower on and I remember the first, (laughs) it sounds crazy, but my mum was obviously on at me, like, you've got to have a shower, come on, sort yourself out, and I didn't want to make her upset. And I just went under the water, come out, you know, like when you're faking it as a kid, I'm like, yeah, I'll brush my teeth, like, you know, (laughs) one of them, and come out in a towel and sort of pretended I'd had a shower. I didn't wash myself. I didn't have shower gel. I didn't wash my hair. But that was a step. And then a few days later, after keeping on doing that, I then did put a bit of shampoo in my hair. And then I did. Now I'm in fucking baths watching Kath and Kim. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's these little steps. And every single person is different. And there is no, sadly, magic wand to make these things happen. But your mind is... Is the reason why you're there there's circumstance there's triggers there's everything it could be trauma it could be ptsd it could be this but your mind is the only person doing that and sometimes there is an issue a medical issue an imbalance with your head and if that's antidepressants that fix that great if that's therapy that fixes that great if it's neither great But try and make the smallest of steps. You don't need to make the cup of tea. You just need to press the button today. That's all you need to do and walk away.
2: I think that's actually really powerful. And actually, it's a reminder that we still look at mental health issues in a totally different way to physical issues. Because if you were a footballer and you broke your leg, it would be totally normal to go, well, first of all, I was in the cast. Then the cast came off. And then I I had to sit down. Then I could finally stand. And when I could stand, I could walk. And when I could walk, I could run. And then eventually I was back in full training. Now, everyone hearing that would go, yeah. yeah, I get that. That's right. exactly the steps that you take. Yeah. When you're talking about a mental health problem, it's the same. It's exactly the same. And we have to change the conversation about yeah. it where we go, do you know what? It's okay for you to have to sit on the sofa yeah. for a few days. Yeah. You know, we're not robots and we treat our bodies and our minds like we're robotic. No. Yet when our bodies break down, everyone goes, oh, you'll be all right. Yeah, it's fine. When our yeah. brains break down, we don't talk about it. No. We, we don't work out how to get through it. So thank you so much for
3: no, it's, sharing it, that. I wish I could... Say more, but it literally is the smallest baby step. But isn't it fine that the answer is actually quite simple from your perspective because... Yeah, it's incredibly simple. But when you're in that situation and when you're feeling that low, opening your eyes is tough, let alone moving your arms. Just opening your eyes can be the hardest thing in the world. Just press the button. That's all you need to do today. Tomorrow, think about pouring the water.
4: (laughs) But I'm particularly struck by... The technique that you described of talking just kindly to yourself like yeah. you're a toddler and I'm interested. Have you maintained that yeah, in your recovery? I
3: actually haven't, especially living alone as well. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed the other day, like, there's this pheasant that keeps running around my garden <laughs> and I've named it Patrice. Clearly I've got a lot of time on my hands. Um and I will get I got up this morning and I went into my kitchen. I was making a coffee and I looked out the window and I saw the pheasant, like by like the little water fountain, and out loud, not just the voice in my head, out loud I've gone, oh, there he is, little fucker. <laughs> but I've said it, rather than think it, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, because no. I'd say it if someone was there. No one is there, but actually, I quite like a little chat with myself every now and again. So I actually like it. So,
4: have you got an example you can share with us, rather than where maybe something's gone wrong, that... Yeah, the the, the the before your illness might have seemed catastrophic. Now you can put it in perspective.
3: Oh my god, but majorly. But more
4: how you've taught yourself through it now that yeah.
3: would be different. I think before before I went through my episode, if you like, things would really bug me. Things would really get to me and it was normally 9 times out of 10 work sort of me feeling hard done by, me feeling there's an injustice here, like me feeling like I've worked towards something and then been overlooked for something. And coming out the other side of this, I used to feel like that was the worst thing in the world. But now, I hate the term because it's such a cliche term. But it's a full on case of don't sweat the small stuff. Genuinely, because I think when you've been to the brink, whatever you want to call it, you sit there and go, "Oh, they're looking at someone else for that job." Yeah, ourselves. All right, so. I can't do this instead. You see, you said something interesting
2: as we were walking in here. We were talking about a job that we won't name, yeah. but you said, Look, I have to accept that I can't control their decisions. I can't control anyone else. And it decision. feels like maybe before
3: the period you've just been through, you were trying to control everyone's decision. Yeah, I think I would sit there and worry that, oh, okay, well, clearly this is going to happen. Yeah, this is going to happen. Yeah. Then when I knew it wasn't, I'd be like, Well, what can I do? What can I do to change it? What can I do to change it? I believe we can change stuff 100%. But ultimately, it genuinely feels like a weight off my shoulders. Cause I sit there and go, "Well, all right." Like I, I just remind myself, "Listen, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Not a problem. You're all right. You're all right, babe. You've got, you've got your health. You've got your house. You've got your car. You've got some money in the bank. You're all right." Like th- that's my comfort to know that I'm secure. That's all I ever want in life, and I think it's all anyone really wants in life. Just know they're secure, whether that's in a relationship, whether it's financially, whether it's family, whether it's health, anything like that, you just want to be secure in those aspects. And I am lucky that I am secure in a lot of aspects of my life. The one thing I'm not secure in is a relationship at the moment, but I'm having a relationship with myself at the moment that I've never had, and maybe I need to do that for me.
4: So when you leave the house now then, so coming here today, do you have a different approach then to putting on your Ryland mask as opposed to turning on? Th- th- th-
3: yeah. Do you know what? This is something I've been thinking about lately. So today, for instance, we, we've done a 10 o'clock start this morning. So I leave my my house with more than enough time that I know, get on the M11, there's traffic. And I'm like, Right always a bit of traffic on the M11, it's not a problem. But the traffic's getting back up and back up and back up. Now, normally, I would be that person, like, but again, I can't control it. I can't control that traffic. So if I'm 10 minutes late, if I'm half hour late, if I'm an hour late, it's not great. I don't like being late. It's a pet peeve of mine. And I wasn't late, just to let you know. (laughs) But, Before, I would get so frustrated and so wound up. I was at the airport the other day, and a flight was cancelled. And I knew my flight was going to be cancelled. And the panic started going... But then I just stopped myself. And it's almost like that little cut-off before it moves. over. How do you do that? Because people listening to this will be struggling with that moment, the cut-off moment. So I sit there and go, stop. In my head, in my head, not out loud at the airport, because then people do look. (laughs) Um, I went, stop a minute. Right. If this flight's cancelled, I'm gonna miss that, which is sad, but it's fine. And all I need to do right, well, I've got I've got my credit card on me, I've got my business card on me. I'll just book a hotel. I'll stay in a hotel, I've got clean underwear in my back like I just I try and go, yeah. what do I do? Or is there another avenue? Yeah. Is there another airline? Is there another this? What do I What do? I do? So I work out the solution to the problem before the problem's Can really hit. Can cope here. with the worst case scenario? If the is yes, yeah,
2: done. It's that simple. I'm so pleased you're saying this because we have this conversation a lot yeah. on this podcast, you know, because I think we're called high performance and I think some people feel that that means to listen to this, you need to want to be a millionaire or a CEO yeah. or an Olympian or something. All we're saying to people is, right, we've actually worked high performance down into three sentences. Do the best you can, mm. where you are, with what you've got. Absolutely. fucking to feels something like you've, you've had your eyes opened to doing the best you can, where you are with what you've got. What more can anyone ask of you?
3: My God, I feel like I've gone from Stevie Wonder to Specsavers. Like, that's the best <laughs> way to describe it. Great I, fe- I feel like I've lived so long with just not seeing anything in front of me and just grabbing and doing and living. Yeah. But was I really living it? I work on Strictly. I've done that for four years. Things can become routine to you. I will now go to work and I will sit there and go, oh, our jobs, we're lucky to do what we do, but it is work. And everyone has got the right, whether you're getting paid two pound or two million pound, to sit there and go, fuck, I don't want to go to work today. I, don't, oh, I can't believe I've got to go to work today, regardless of what it is. And sometimes I'll think, oh, I've got to go like that there now. Oh, And then I go, do you remember 10 years ago? Do you remember when you would have literally cut your leg off to be in the background of this, let alone in the foreground of this? So it's just remembering what it means to you. And I feel like that is quite a fuel for me. My schedule's all over the shop. And I will get to the point where I feel like, I just want a day off, I just want a day off. That's all right to think that. You haven't got to be grateful for everything every single second of the day. It's all right to sit there and go, well, do you know, I don't fucking care. Give it to someone else then. It's all right to do that. It is all right to do that because we're all human and we're all normal people. My biggest lesson that I've learned when it comes down to my career and it's took me 10 years to learn is that people can be your colleagues but they're not necessarily your friends and that's no bad thing. And loyalty when it comes down to this industry is very few and far between when it comes down to companies, when it comes down to individuals, when it comes down to everything. But again, that's all right because it's what what it is. You might not be able to change what it is, but you can always try and change your approach to how you deal with what it is. Yeah. And that's what I feel like I'm doing now because I went to a shit place that I look at things and go, I can't control that. What can I do? Yeah. I can either sit here for the next three days, slagging everyone off, calling everyone a bastard, and saying, he's a prick, that one's a prick, rah, 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 rah. winding myself up, or I can sit there and go to Barcelona for three days and have a walk about. Like I can't change what other people want to do and I can't change what people want. All I can do is try and grab what I want yeah, and try and grab it with both hands. Nice.
4: So your comment there around... Colleagues and friends is an interesting one because in your book, you've got chapters where you've got people that are in the public eye, like Claire from Steps or, you know, you talk about Scott Mills and your friendship with him really deeply. So I'm interested in terms of what's the criteria for you to allow somebody into your friendship group now rather than just being a colleague?
3: I feel that I can hand on heart say that I've got friends in this industry – that I can count on one hand. One hand is more than enough for me. If I had two, great. If I had two hands, not a problem. I've got so many people in this industry, you both know what it's like, that you'll see sporadically or see... At an event or something like that. We go, oh, babe, where are you? Oh, yeah, no, we're mates. Uh, no, we know each other. Oh, it's right. that weird thing you also do where
2: you've never met each other before, but, but you, 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 know, you, do. you know you're both on the telly. Yeah. So you're like,
3: hey, oh, big cuddle." Oh, how's oh, it going? it's so nice to see you as a <laughs> kid. And people are yeah. like, do you know each other? You're like, never no, yeah. met them before. Don't know their name. <laughs> no. but, but that's fine. Like, yeah. That's part and parcel of the fun of it all. It's it's a laugh. But for me, the way that I work out who's a friend and who's a acquaintance or a colleague... A friend is someone, like last year, when you're at your lowest, will try and do anything to help you. So I remember, you know, I didn't want to see anyone. I hadn't left the house. Um, I became really agoraphobic. My mum called Ruth and Eamon. (laughs) And they turned up at my house. And, I mean, Eamon got really upset because I was clearly visibly very sick, Um, as did Ruth. And I didn't want to see them. And I just remember breaking down, going, just get out. I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to see anyone. They'd driven two hours to get there. All of this. But they did that. They did that not because it's going on Instagram the following morning, not because they're going to get kudos from people because they've put it on Twitter for likes. They did that because they cared. They did that because they cared about me. And they're people that are friends. And I would do the same. When Ruth lost her sister, Ruth's sister passed away and it was very unexpected and really, really upsetting. I was there for her. What did that do for you when they came to your house? Reminded me there's life outside of the front door. I didn't want it. it reminded me that, fuck, I was someone before all of this shit. You forget that you're a person when you're going through that. You forget that you've got a body. You forget that you've got a brain and you forget that you've got a voice. And they were obviously really, really shocked at how I was speaking. Claire did the same as well. My mum did it with Claire as well, which is why they're both in my book, because they are... Claire's like my sister, Ruth and Eamon, I like my mum and dad. That's literally what they are.
4: But the bit that you've just said there that concerns me in some ways for people listening to this is that in the nine years prior to this, where things are going well for you, that you've not had that chance to test a friendship group. So there must have been lots of people that are hangers-on or people Majorly. that are just there for the ride Majorly. or there because they wouldn't uh, the associated benefits with Majorly. knowing you
3: i couldn't so, see i didn't know what a red flag was
4: so like like we sometimes use that phrase that people are with you for seasons reasons or lifetimes yeah how would you determine then what other people
3: can learn from your experience um it's such a difficult question because like you said sometimes i think you know but you just let it happen anyway Sometimes I think you really don't know if someone's there for the wrong reasons and it hits you like a baseball bat around the face if you do find out. I can only speak for waking up to actually what's going on around me and now I have no problem with sitting there going, this isn't good for me or this situation isn't good for me, that person isn't good for me So How do you determine that? What are the red flags you look for? Well, it depends whether you're looking at someone that you're dating. It depends whether you're looking at someone that's your friend. It depends whether it's someone who's in your family. It depends on circumstance. There's no formula, I don't think, to sit there and go, right, so this person is this, this, this and that. Oh no, they're clearly in it for the wrong reasons. Let's get rid of them.
4: Well, it's interesting because when we spoke to Vicky Patterson on the podcast, she had her, her, her phone test was the way that she determined it. So she said she divides some people up into uh, the ones that energise you. She said the ones that leave you buzzing like an, empty, mm. an old fridge, was mm. the phrase she used, didn't she? That When you see the name on the phone, you yeah. go, oh, great, I want to answer it. Then she talks about the middle of the roaders, the ones yeah. that you go, oh, fair enough, yeah. they're there. But then there's the draggers, yeah. she told about the ones that you go... But you get the text and you go, oh, fuck, fuck's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I'm interested in terms of, to follow up on Jake's question, like, what do you do now that almost sets
3: that same criteria that Vicky told us about again for me it's it's very much a mental thing and I think I led with my heart for so long which I don't think is a bad thing because my heart has got me into places that I'm grateful I did get to or, or experiences that I experienced but I always forget to use my head sometimes and I think now I'm finding that perfect balance of head and heart let's say it's dating that's always an easy one to to talk about. You you meet someone, you get the heart, you get the little flutters, and you're like, oh, I really like him, really like him. And then someone might say something to you where they flag something. Now, I've had this in my life that I've chose to ignore. And then I'm in a situation. <laughs> so this time, I mean, my real friends that are around me, and when I say real friends, I mean a very tight, tight circle... They might say something and instead of me bat it away, I will listen and I'll go, Okay, well, look, I'm going to look with fresh eyes on this. I could sit here and keep talking. I haven't got the answer for you and I'm really, really sorry. And that's all right to say. I don't know how you get how you work out who's right and who's wrong for you. But you know what? You just know.
2: Hey, look, as you know, in high performance, we love to highlight businesses doing things a better way. That's why we're proud to partner today with Mint Mobile. And when I found Mint Mobile, I had to share it with you. They've ditched retail stores and all the overhead costs and passed those savings onto you. Right now, Mint Mobile has wireless plans starting at $15 a month. That's unlimited talk and text plus data for $15 a month. And for me, those numbers are fantastic. I've been paying way more than that for my whole life. So if you hate your phone bill, Mint Mobile can offer you premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. All the plans come with unlimited talk and text and high speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can choose from three, six or 12 month plans. Say goodbye to your monthly phone bills. So to get your wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com HPP. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash HPP. Additional taxes, fees and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Today's episode of High Performance is in partnership with MindLift. And many of you may have heard already that in 2023, I decided to give MindLift a go. The neuroscience based personalised brain trainer to improve your focus and your relaxation. So I popped on the headband, I downloaded the MindLift app and connected to my own personal neuro coach. And because of my job as a podcaster, I get to experience so many different things that people tell me are going to benefit my life. And in all honesty, once I started using MindLift, I just found that I felt sharper, my focus was better. And I think something else that you can't necessarily feel is that it offers an improvement for overall brain health. I also was really reassured by the fact that this is trusted by clinicians around the world. I know for a fact it's used by top athletes. I've spoken to some of them about how much they love it. And the fact that the whole experience is customised by your own neuro coach, I think just makes it really smart. So if you want to get involved and you're interested, now is the time with a $40 discount exclusively for you. And if you want to get forty dollars off your first subscription, just go to mindlift.com slash high performance. That's M Y N D L I F T dot com slash high performance. Everyone I meet, I think they're gonna be the greatest person. Same. They're gonna to lead to the most amazing opportunities. Mm-hmm. This is the one like But then I can't not live like that. No. Because I the reason why I have that feeling is how things like this podcast get created or how you meet someone like Damien or how I end up asking you to come and be on here or how you... Like, as soon as you close yourself down, I think, to being an open book, emotionally and physically with people, I'm like, come on in. Jake, that's that's Come and see my whole life. Come and meet my family. Come and have Sunday lunch with
3: us. That's fine. No one's saying don't do that. I am not saying don't do that. You live your life like that. But when and if something isn't right... It's about how you deal with it. It's about whether you keep letting it slide and let it be part of your life or whether you take that plunge, that jump and go, I'm really sorry, but this isn't right for me. And no hard feelings. Whatever it is, whether it's business, whether it's friendship, whether it's a relationship, whether it's marriage, whatever it is, I want to live my life and I do try and live my life. Anyone and everyone's welcome. Any opportunity, I'll look at. Uh, With work, there'll be things that come in that I, my management know I am never going to do in a million years, but I still want to see it. I still want to see it to go, no, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Not because I don't trust them, but because I don't want to be in a situation where someone goes, Oh, we asked you to do this. And I ain't got a fucking clue what they're going on about. But it's the same with people. I want to live my life going, you're going to be the nicest person I've ever met. We're going to be friends forever. And you're, we're going to be like that until the day we die. I'll do that with you. Until you prove me otherwise. Until you prove me otherwise. And it only takes something little, but just know, and then it's just how you deal with it, I think.
4: We interviewed Johnny Wilkinson, the rugby player Mm. that told us that, that he said he had that idea that rather than talking about somebody has got to earn your trust, why don't you just give it? Give it. And then see what they do with that. Yeah,
3: As long as you're not giving anything that's going to hurt you, as in like, your heart's one thing, trust is another thing, I will give you my trust straight away. People, it's very, very strange because when people always go, you know who is horrible? Blah, blah, blah. And I'll go, are they? I'm the worst person to judge a character because people speak to me different in this industry like they will you two. So, pe- someone... You know, my wife
2: used to work on Strictly, right? Right. She was, uh, she used to look after the training teams. Mm-hmm. She worked on Big Brother before mm-hmm. that, before you were on mm-hmm. it. She worked on I'm a Celebrity, like, you name it. She, she did the reality shows. She did Dancing on Ice and she'd come home and I'd be like, you're right. She'd be like, X, Y, Z, are like yeah. I can't believe the way they spoke to me or yeah. blah 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 I totally ignored me today yeah. and I'm like what yeah. they're the nicest people I know Yeah, and she's like yes because you're on you're, the telly Cause you're on and the then telly. a few weeks later we're like at the BBC or whatever when you, you used to be at TV centre mm. and that person would come up to us and mm. be like hey nice to yeah, see yeah, you Jake. Yeah. how's it going and they, and I go this is this is my f- at the time girlfriend they're like
3: Ah. Yeah. Yeah, we were. <laughs> She's
2: yeah. like, exactly.
3: Listen, that goes through whether you work in a supermarket yeah. or at the Super Bowl. Like, it doesn't you matter. you look how someone treats the lowest person in the room. My manager is was my runner there you go. on Big there you Brother. Go. And he's been with me for nearly nine years. Uh, uh, eight years, sorry. And he is almost like my eyes and ears. Because he would sit there and go, that one was so rude to me when I was a runner on Dancing and That one was so rude to me. These, this is my industry, so I'm going to meet these people. I'll have someone on the show, like on my radio show or something like that, and he'll go, like made a girl cry, made a boy." You pass. know I pick oh, people really? up on it now. No, I've been in situations where I've seen someone talk to a runner like shit, and it wasn't the first time I've seen this happen. But I felt before that that I wasn't at maybe a level... Or a stature or something like that where I could say something, you know? Yeah. And then, yeah, a couple of years back, I was in a situation and I saw someone talk. It wasn't even my show. It wasn't even my show. I was a guest on a, on a show. And I just heard, I could just hear it, but almost weirdly see it before it happened. Because you do, don't you? You know you see it. And I saw someone speak to a runner like shit just because they'd bought the wrong coffee. And this runner was about 17. And I just went, who the fuck are you talking to? And I just saw the face drop. Like, what? 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 I went. Are you jo- are you joking? And they were like, Oh no no no! no. I, I didn't mean it like that. When no, that fucking damage is done, now I said, Come on, babe! I literally took the coffee, threw it on the floor. I went, Go and get your own fucking coffee. And I took her outside. And I went, Come on, let's go and have a fag. Ten years ago, when I come into this industry, there was still this lag and hangover of how people were treated back in the day when you started and stuff like that. I'm not saying it was you. You're a lovely bloke, but like you you must have seen a load of stuff yeah. telly has changed this industry has changed how things work how people are treated I think I joined at a time when there's that lag still of people can still talk to people a bit like shit we now live in a day and age where it's like well, oh, you can't say this you can't say I'm that I'm saving it all for my book what, no, t- man, what man, TV was like in yeah. the early 2000s yeah, I exactly. tell you, exactly. I'll tell you but, it was a different place but yeah no, I, w- I won't stand for it yeah, you know when, right. I, when I worked at Big Brother my exec producer was on the same level as a day runner that didn't even work on the mm-hmm. show. Everyone is the same. And that's how I like to work on my shows. I don't care about hierarchy. When people go, you're the host. I go, so? Yeah. I don't care. Oh, you're the exact, don't care. Everyone's got their own their own opinion. And it's a team. You either work as a team or you don't. And yeah, I have I lost people along the way in work. When I'd be in an office of 30-odd people uh, Big Brother, someone would come in. If I see someone talk to someone like shit, they wouldn't be there the next day.
4: Yeah. No one's
2: too big to put the bins out.
4: No. It's an important thing. See, but included. I think that's a really Me important included. point because I think there's people listening to this that I can, that, as you're telling us this anecdote. you remembering thinking stuff. Of, well, I'm, I'm thinking of people that I know that would really be hoovering this up because they're in situations where what you described, of I didn't feel I had the status yeah. or I didn't feel I had enough credit in the bank to call out that behaviour yeah. and do it. The example you use with that guy, who, like, who the fuck do you think you are with the coffee? is one example of being able to do it. Yeah. But what tips or advice could you give us to do it in maybe a less abrasive or confrontational way? That You, you know, yeah. if you're working in an office where you think, I,
3: yeah,
4: yeah. I'm, I'm going to be working with this person for the next few years, so I don't want to... But burn, I think burn, it's, burn, again, bridges.
3: everything's circumstantial. So yeah. uh, <laughs> if your boss is an arsehole, your boss is an arsehole. Like, and you going up to him and speaking really politely and saying this, I really didn't like the way that you spoke to me then I don't want to make a thing of it but it really made me feel crap that you spoke to me like that for all I know your boss could go fuck off you sacked I don't know yeah yeah I think it's circumstantial but I'm the sort that if I see something like an injustice or something like that I'm full steam ahead
4: do you feel that's a learned behaviour you've seen from your mum of that combative get on the front foot?
3: Yeah, you know, absolutely. I will n- never forget. I think I was a, I was in year nine or something, and some guy was starting on me and and whatever. And uh, one morning I just took so much shit from people. I'm never a fighter. I'll I'll floor someone with words. One morning I just had enough, and I punched him in the face and knocked him out. Obviously, I was excluded there and then on the spot. Rah, 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 my mum came and got me. She was so proud. She took me up the sandwich shop in Church. Like <laughs> I've always just been brought up to treat people right, treat people how you want to be treated, but defend yourself if someone's being an arsehole to you. Yeah. Being in the position that I'm in, defending myself at times sometimes isn't worth it because it causes a media thing or it causes more to pipe up because they feel that they can and stuff like that but in a situation where I see a runner being spoken to like shit for no reason that's when Ryland becomes Ross at work
2: can I ask you then how you deal with criticism generally
3: and if we go right back to the start of your career mm-hmm. I mean, I've mean, i got the
2: the quotes here Gary Barlow a joke act talentless and you actually in your Instagram bio what does it say she started off as a joke and still laughing I imagine that did hurt at the
3: time Oh, at the time, uh, and again, talking about my family, my brother, who's 14 years older than me, my mum, are listening to Gary Barlow, and they're wanting to knock him out. They're like, (laughs) But I would sit there and go, let it happen, because all of this happening, it's working for me. This is working for me. How quickly
2: did you realise
3: that? Week two. Week one of the live shows, I was in the bottom two. And that killed me that week. I wanted to leave. I was walking out. I was like, I I can't do this. I can't put my mum through this. And then week two, something just clicked. And I thought, this could be my thing. And I think where a lot of people go wrong on them shows is that they don't realise they're the joke. I was in on it. So I played up to the joke. So uh, the next week I came out to sing Gangnam Style, as you do. But I started it with Back For Good, Take That, just for a laugh. And everyone was like... But I thought, you want to play that game? I'll I'll play the game, and I was in on the joke. I knew what I was doing, and yes, it hurt. I mean, I got actual death threats when I was an X Factor to the point where I had to have security. Um, someone was in the hotel that we were living in, and why know, is that? Well, like, what was the logic? Why would somebody want to do that? Oh, they got my room number, everything, saying so they were going to come in and slice my neck open in the night. Like I don't care if someone calls me talentless. I don't care if someone says big tooth prick. I don't care. It's like if I've got money in the bank. I'm fine, but... Like. But when someone's saying, I can see you currently on your balcony of your room 401. Oh, shit. And I've got a key card because I work here and I'm going to slice your neck in your sleep. Then you sit there and go, fuck, that's a bit too much information yeah. that they know. You know, and so it's things like that. And that's obviously difficult, but actually. Again, I'm glad I had the rocky start. I'm glad I just didn't have a, oh, he's good, lovely.
2: Well, I'm interested how you are with it today because let's be totally frank, right? And I want to be totally clear for people listening to this. The last thing you are is a joke. Thank you. And (laughs) the reason why I believe that is because, you know, I'm lucky enough that I started out in TV in 2001 and I can't believe that 21 years later, I'm still employed to go on the telly. To have any length of a TV career is remarkable, right? You've done 10 years, not just 10 years, over 10 years at the absolute top of the game like all the dreams you want to meet the Spice Girls when you were younger you've done it you want everybody wants to be on Radio 2 you've done it you love Big Brother you went on it not only that you ended up hosting it mm. you went on The X Factor and created your career you love Eurovision you've ended up hosting Eurovision yeah. like you just can't there's nothing that you wanted still to do still can't tick.
3: get a fella <laughs> what's going on <laughs> <laughs> look where you're married, your
2: brain goes straight but like everything you wanted to do you've done yeah that does not happen by accident no, okay? I know I oh, know. So how are you now with the criticism? Because I just don't know whether you get the credit you deserve Thanks. for what you've achieved. And I'd love to know whether you feel you do and whether you care. And I'm talking to Ross Not Ryland right now.
3: I want to sit here and say I can laugh it off if ever I get criticism. And nine times out of ten, I do. There's one times out of ten that sometimes it will get me a bit. And I think, fucking what? Do you know like how hard I've worked on this or something like that? I like some criticism because I think it keeps me grounded and I think it reminds me that I'm not invincible. We know there's a lot of people in this industry whose feet do leave the floor and they turn into idiots. I'm lucky that mine is still on the ground and I think that's weirdly played a part in it. Um, I like knowing not everyone likes me because the, the biggest compliment anyone can give me is, and it's the normal thing that I always get, and the one compliment I probably get the greatest satisfaction from I used to hate you when you were on The X Factor, but I love your Radio 2 show. Mm. Or I used to think you were an idiot. I get more satisfaction converting people into, oh, he's actually all right, than getting the love in the first place. I love it.
2: Brilliant. Can I talk to you about how you've done it, though? Because there'll be people listening to this with a dream and an ambition. I want to know how you end up in a career as cutthroat as TV and you navigate your way through. And please don't say it's by accident, and please don't say you don't know, because the truth is that you do know, and it takes careful planning, and it takes
3: thought, and it takes... The sleeping around. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Going back to the very beginning, yeah. quickly navigating and grasping the fact of the stereotype I needed to be was the first step. Realising your role on that show and in TV at that time? The X Factor at its point, it was massive. It was a singing show. But it was also a TV show. Now working in TV, you understand there are boxes. Everyone's got a box. Whether you are just average, you're in the average box. It it doesn't matter. You're either the gay one, you're the this one, you're the that one, you're the that one. I knew very quickly when I was looking around... I'm the joke one. Fine. How do I make myself work with this? And obviously I played the game. I played along. You want to put me in feather boas and a light-up jumpsuit? Do it. That's absolutely fine. If I earn a couple of grand out of this and get two weeks on the live shows, do a couple of gay club appearances, I can buy myself a new car because my other one just blew up. Great. that That's how I looked at it. I didn't have big expectations. I knew I had it in me. So then... Coming out of X Factor, knowing at this point, because I'd already had one dodgy conversation at an X Factor live show that Big Brother wanted me to go in the house, I knew I was going into Big Brother and I thought, that's my chance to show Ross rather than Rylan. Everyone thinks Rylan is this character on X Factor. I might go out first, and if I do go out first, that means knowing Big Brother and it being a celebrity version, I've got five days to show that if I'm evicted first. And I walked into Celebrity Big Brother and I was just being myself. I'd sit there with no makeup on, hand down me trousers, being mates with Razor Ruddock and Frankie Dottori, sitting there drinking beer, taking the piss out of Caffey Bill because we found it funny. Like, you know, that's what it was. And then people just went, oh, he's not this idiot singing a Spice Girl mega mix flying down from a trellis in the ceiling. It's actually quite normal. Then I won. and was like, right, there's a small bit of validation that I've played this right. So I need to keep doing this now. Then I got offered the job at Big Brother, but I'm not a presenter. And I was like, how am I going to do this? Because I'm not a presenter. And you know, when you present, you've got 40 people talking in one ear. You've got to listen to this person. Blah, blah, blah. Luckily enough, I found it really easy. And I still do. And I love my job. And you, I prefer live TV to pre-rec because I'm in control of it. a control thing again, but I enjoy it. But the best thing that I ever did, and I still stand by it, was get my teeth done the day before I started hosting Big Brother because they were so fucking big and so white and I was so swollen that for the few weeks I was learning on the job, on live TV, to be a presenter on my apprenticeship People were so busy talking about my teeth. No one knew I was a shit presenter. And by the time they got used to my teeth, I could do a fucking good job of my job. And that was Brilliant. it. What a story. And what about the moment where you have to go and say, now take
2: me seriously. You know, like Radio 2 don't employ Ryland from mm-hmm. The X Factor. They probably almost certainly don't employ Ryland from Big Brother. Nope. They probably would not employ even Ryland from doing a bit of hosting no. there has to be a moment where you go and say right now take me seriously this is what i am uh, and there's some good lessons here for our our listeners for so one thing did. for
3: me is when you when you do a radio show you don't physically dj obviously it's all system it's all computer it's all this radio is 10 times harder than tv 100 percent. because you everything has to be your voice you have to be happy with your voice sad with your voice sincere with your voice and Joking with your voice, you can't do the little I look to camera for. You can't do that. I said, I'm not going to get taken seriously getting this job because I understand it's the biggest radio station in Europe. People would kill to have a show on radio too, which I completely understand. I've got a good knowledge of music and I really love my music, but I'm not a DJ. So I went and learned with Pioneer how to be a proper DJ. So I wanted to sort of almost have credibility for something I didn't even need it for. Mm. Because at Radio 2, I haven't got decks in front of me. It doesn't work like that. But I wanted to have that credibility. So I started doing DJ gigs and I started going out. And then I started getting booked more because people were going, it's actually really good. And every time I'd go to a place, people would be shocked that I was actually DJing. Because the last celeb DJ that they booked would literally just press play on a playlist and just look like they're doing something. I could easily earn a couple of grand going somewhere and pressing a button and just doing, putting my hands up and going, yeah. I want to be taken seriously, but I also still want to have a laugh with it. So how important is hard work for you? So I want to say this and it not come across the wrong way. I'm not working down a mine. I get that. But I do work hard. My job starts the second I walk out of my gate because I'm Ryland. Not because I'm Ross, because I'm Ryland. So I'm at work. The second I come outside of the gates, purely because of the sheer fact of every single move I make, if I crash into a car, if I do this, that's Ryland. It's not Ross. Now that's how it is.
4: But I think the genius of what you've described on that journey that you've been on since that X Factor is almost like, you know, in judo they talk about the like the art of judo is use what your opponent does and you against almost them. Yeah, yeah against them. And I think the facts that you. That you recognise the, the, you know, I mean, pigeonholed as a joke. here, Let's use that against them, and they'll play it. Yeah, no, It's brilliant. I that's think the best something... one
3: with attack as well. Is yeah. when someone sits there and goes, "You were such an idiot on X Factor." I go, "I know." What do I say to that then? Brilliant. What yeah. do you say to that? It's like, w- w- "What do you mean?" I'm like, "Well, no, I was fannying about in a feather boa. You, 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 no you, you couldn't with. sing. It was like." I wasn't singing on X Factor. I had 20 battery packs strapped to my back and my nipples came off because I was wearing a gold Chanel chainmail vest. (laughs) (laughs) I sliced both my nipples open during a a performance of Spandau Ballet Gold. Like, do you think I was going to stand there and sing whilst I'm being pushed around on a shopping trolley dressed as an Egyptian? Not happening today. And it's like, I love it. I love it. I love it when people go, you can't sing. Oh, you were this. And I go, yeah, no, no, no. Because that weren't that. And I'm like, great, do it. How would you not know if I've had three number ones already under a different name? You wouldn't. No, It could come out one day that I have could. I have. but Have you? I'd never tell you until I'm ready. <laughs> you just don't know, do you? No.
4: See, but the thing that really intrigues me on this is that, you, that you've done that, you've leaned into it, you've used that sort of resistance as your best form of attack. And mm. yet it seems like when that crash happened for you, to go back to that, that was one of the few times where where you've almost not done that. You yeah. know what I mean? And, the only time uh, I've
3: not done that. Yeah,
4: and I think there's something significant about that that you've resisted it for so long. Yeah, that eventually you've tripped up. It, it yeah, been I did. used I against you.
3: I fell over. Yeah, I fell over. Um, and I think the a massive lesson that I learned is sometimes you think, why am I so nice to people? Why do I always say yes? when someone asked for a photo, why do I sit there and do the extra hour at work just because of someone else's fuck up? Why Why do I do this? And actually I've learned the reason why I do that is because last year when you fall down, you're going to need help getting back up. And everyone waited for me. I didn't lose one job. They didn't move on to the next. Everyone helped me get back up the stairs again because I always helped them. And that's, that's important to me, is that... People think I'm decent. That's important to Ross.
2: Lovely. Before we move on to our quick questions, the last thing is about happiness. You finish your book with, there's one (laughs) thing on my list, be happy. I can't wait for the day I tick this box. Mm. What is happiness? I'll let you know when I get it.
3: I don't know yet. I need to work it out.
2: And is there a sadness that you've had this amazing career? You've done all these things that young Ross, would never have believed, yet you can't sit here and tell us what
3: happiness is? I I can look at it two ways. I can look at it as, that's really sad that you say that, or I can look at it as an opportunity again. And I look at it as an opportunity because everything always becomes normal to some extent, whether that's the job you do, the relationship you're in, not having money in the bank or having money in the bank, everything becomes normal. And I've learned that what I thought would be a pinnacle is just another step. A great one, but it's a step. So going on X Factor, that was like the pinnacle. I was like, oh my God. Going into the Big Brother house. Oh my God, that's the pinnacle. Hosting it. That is the pinnacle. And then you realise, what's next though? there's always something else. I'm glad I'm like that. That's not me chasing. That's me keeping myself ambitious and keeping myself excited to a point. Always thinking, when will I get there? I think in the back of my mind, I will never get there because I'll always be waiting or looking and stuff and that's not a bad place to be because I actually quite like the feeling of what's next what's next but I think from a happiness point of view for me I think that's being with someone that I want to share everything with that is the right person that supports what I do that supports me as much as I can support them in all different aspects I think that's when I'll be able to tick a box and go I'm all right, yeah, and keep doing what I'm doing,
2: you know what? I think the freedom that you've now found actually allows you to meet that person. I don't I think so. that you, two or three or four, five, six, seven years ago, would ever even meet that person, no, because the freedom wasn't there to to yeah. look for the right person no
3: yeah i I think right. I had an idea of what I wanted I wanted a husband and a range rover <laughs> I've still got the range rover. <laughs>
4: I mean, can I ask you a bit of an intrusive question, Rylander? And you don't have to answer <laughs> You this. intrusive? Yeah, sorry, but it, and, and like when you talk about this journey on this quest for happiness, do you still use therapy or some kind of um, coaching or support? I actually now? don't.
3: Um, which is strange because a lot of times you would hear people go, "Yeah, I still still see my therapist," or uh, whether it be once a year, once a month, once a day. I don't because actually the therapist I worked with was great. She was a really amazing woman and I didn't want to tell her anything at first. And actually when I realized that when I did start being honest with her, it worked and it helped. I just, I have association. So like fragrance for argument's sake, I'll smell a certain fragrance and boom, I'm back in Ibiza. My first ex-boyfriend. Oh, I remember that smell. You know, I'm back somewhere. If I was to go and have therapy now, I think it's just reminding me of a time and a feeling of how I felt and I just don't need it. I don't want that at the minute. If I felt that I wanted to do it again, I would no, no questions about it, but I don't have therapy. I, I I've learned to try and give myself therapy and remind myself what's important Wake up and go, okay, this is, right, talk to the pheasant. <laughs> Patrice. Oh, yeah, Patrice loves it. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I want to try and do this on my own. And the day that I can't do things on my own, that's when I ask for help. Brilliant. Simple as that. Right, time for our quick fire questions. Here we go. <laughs> what are the three non-negotiable behaviours that you and, ideally, the people around you as well have to buy into? Uh, lying, not having it, um, rudeness. And just being a dickhead in general. What's your biggest weakness and your greatest strength? Biggest weakness is probably anything to do with my appearance. My greatest strength is anything to do with my appearance.
2: Do you think that ever changes? Because we've all seen the photo that gets passed around of young Rylan,
3: ginger hair, freckles. No, No, that's how I see myself still. But that's why I say my biggest weakness is my appearance because I'm not—I don't love the way that I look. But my biggest strength is my appearance because when I paint it all on, I can go out and. But would you give ever be? It.
2: But that's a lack of confidence that you shouldn't yeah. have because you look great. So, will you ever be at a point? Do you think where less of Ryland and more of Ross is on show to the general public?
3: I don't know. I'd like to. Yeah, but I don't know yet. Where were you? Where are you? And where are you going? Where was I? Was somewhere great where am i in a period after somewhere not great where am i going back to where i started
4: what's the thing that people get wrong most or misunderstand about you
3: that i'm actually a boy at heart and even though there's a full face of makeup on and stuff like that i'm actually quite normal actually i'm very run-of-the-mill normal
2: is there one question we should have asked you but we didn't
3: yeah what was it that's your job (laughs) i think long and hard about it (laughs) it involved long and hard (laughs) nice
2: we probably should we go there high performance i mean
3: let's talk about that you could bring your own tablets out (laughs) true high performance
4: (laughs) And finally then, them. what's your one final message for listeners about living a high-performance life?
3: Um, my my final message would be what works for me might not work for you, what works for you might not work for me, um, but in a very short amount of time, I've seen quite a lot and I have dealt with quite a lot um, and I'm still dealing with quite a lot. Just be good at doing what you want to do, but just don't forget who you are because I did, and that's when it all fucks up. Brilliant. Mate, thank you so much for doing that. Thank you.
2: Damien. Jake. Uh, what an interesting conversation with someone who is definitely, obviously, in a much better place than he was at, you know, a few months ago, but I still get the impression that he's on a real, a real journey. There was times there where I felt like it was Ross we were talking to, but there's also moments where you see that the mask of Ryland comes into the fore.
4: Yeah, it must be confusing in some ways that uh, that that split identity. And I think that's what in Ryland's answers that he almost lost sight of that the you know the little boy that got bullied, that sort of kid. I think to lose sight of that was obviously caused a lot of the problems. That there's a theory called the quiet man in the room theory, which is almost like your subconscious is always there talking and. It, but it speaks quietly, and if you don't listen to it, eventually it'll start to scream and make enough noise or enough of a scene that you pay attention to it. And I couldn't help but think whether that was what had happened with Ryland, that the idea of, he, he as he said, he threw a bomb into his own world, mm. and whether that was the quiet man in the room of Ross saying, I need you to pay attention to me, I need you to give me some of the care and love and attention that I deserve. And I
2: think that, you know, in the same way that some people said, vi- Vicky Patterson why is she on High Performance only when she came on do people go now I get it I think there'll be a lot of people that have listened to that conversation with Ryland that at the beginning would have said well the guy from X Factor on High Performance and it's only when you hear about how he dealt with the criticism on X Factor how he managed to control what happened to him on Big Brother what he did to get himself a great broadcasting career The way that he managed to deal with the breakdown in his relationship, what he's done to grow from that, the advice he gives people who are going through mental health problems, what he said about hard work and being the nicest person in the room. He is the absolute epitome of high performance because high performance is not just a case of kind of making the best of yourself and getting your own version of high performance, which he absolutely has. It's a reminder that it's small, daily, basic things that he knows he can do that has given him the most incredible career, wealth he couldn't have imagined, opportunities that he
4: never would have believed. Like, he's absolutely the epitome of high performance in my mind. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I was sat there, I was sort of... I always feel privileged when we do this anyway, and I especially feel privileged when guests are so candid and open that it feels like they're letting us into their world and that's not something that I know you or I take lightly. And I was sat there thinking, what a broad church that we've had in terms of our guests when you think of whether it's been people that might be traditionally defined as alpha males, whether it's special elites, force soldiers, or whether it has been Vicky Patterson or, in this case here, Rylan. that they're all high performance in, in our definition of it. This isn't about what you said to Ryland, striving to become the millionaire, the top of the shop, the CEO. This is just about doing the best you can in your moment. And This is an ordinary man that's gone into an extraordinarily competitive world of broadcasting and yet, like you say, he's sustained a career far longer than lots of more maybe obviously talented people. Mm. That deserves further exploration and I hope people have sort of shifted their opinion and again understood the power of empathy. He's a great guy. Yeah, I loved it. It was a real privilege to listen to him.
2: Let's welcome then another listener to the High Performance Podcast, because we were contacted by someone called Peter on behalf of James, and he shared James's story with us. So James was a health and physical education teacher at a school in Cambodia. At the same time, he was head coach of an amateur football team out there. But in May 2022, everything changed for him. Um, And it's a pleasure to welcome him to the High Performance Podcast right now. James, nice to see you, man.
5: You too, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here and to be able to share my story or to be able to to just be on the podcast is a pleasure. So thank
2: you. Well, thank you. So let's talk about that story then, because I've just told the listeners that, you know, you were doing something which sounds amazing. Working as a PE teacher in Cambodia, head coach for an amateur football team, obviously health and fitness was at the centre of your life. Would you mind then sharing with us what happened in uh in twenty twenty
5: two. Well I never really had issues before, you know, I, I always quite looked after my health and I was lucky enough not to have any medical issues. Um but maybe starting around Christmas of 2021, constantly feeling unwell and not understanding why. Um nothing had changed in my lifestyle, but just constantly there was some different type of illness all the time, which my immune system seemed to be down a lot. And that carried on for a couple of months. But eventually the pains got really, really bad in my stomach around April of 2022. And I, I had a, a lump in the bottom of my stomach. And luckily I got a colonoscopy quite early. The results came back from the colonoscopy that I did have stage three bowel cancer at that time. And um, that was obviously quite a shock to me being in Cambodia, away from my family, kind of being by by myself to a certain extent in a, in a foreign environment. I did the surgery and it was quite successful. Um the surgeon was quite happy that they removed the tumour and um, the, the plan was then to um, to come back to Ireland, to come back home and do adjuvant chemotherapy, which is basically a chemotherapy just to to prevent any further spread. However, in the meantime of, um, of about 10 weeks while I was um, recovering from my first initial surgery, the cancer had spread and it spread to my peritoneum. Basically from that, then I had to go for another surgery which now leaves me with a, an ileostomy. So them kind of things have have dictated uh, my life to a certain extent and how it's changed from, like you said, I was a, a health fanatic. I was a PE teacher, constantly active. Um, and now my life has, has taken a 360 turn where I'm, I'm kind of, I need to be nursed, I need to be looked after. Um, I have great support through with my family and my girlfriend, my friends. But I'm, I'm limited in in what I can do in every day. So
2: let's talk about how you're coping.
5: In, in my in my darkest days or my my biggest challenges and my lack of the of hope and 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 despair, I was lucky enough to have people like my father and and my girlfriend that that I felt I was comfortable enough to reach out to and tell them exactly how I was feeling, um, to show that kind of that fun vulnerable side of myself which maybe as you know, as a, as a fellow man, that can be difficult at times.
2: And what would you like to leave as your one final message to the people listening to this podcast?
5: I think through my experience, if I can share anything through my experience and if something can, can somebody can take something from, from my story is, um, the biggest thing I think is gratitude. Um, just to have a whole lot of gratitude for the smallest things. I suppose uh, previously I would have, um, Lived a little bit in the fast lane, kind of always looking at the future. What's next? Um, how can I achieve this with whether it was myself, whether it was with my health and fitness, whether it was with um, my football team, my students, you're always looking at what's next? What's next? Whereas sometimes it's, or a lot of the time, I think it's very important to just, to, to be present, you know, and to, to, to be appreciative and, and have the gratitude for the smallest little things we have in our lives. Um, because I I think the small things, they're the big things. Um, And that's what I've realized in this this experience so far. And um, I don't think I'll I'll ever forget that.
2: You know what, James, thank you so much for sharing that. Because, um, you know, I sometimes think that people assume because I host the high performance podcast, right? And I speak to all these people, 160 odd episodes or whatever that I've got nothing to learn, right? But to hear you having gone through what you've gone through and for you to have had so much taken away from you, but then for me to be able to sit here and remember that you are putting gratitude at the top of your list when it comes to lessons you want to share because of you, I'm going to make sure that after we have this chat, I go off and I, I keep that at the forefront of my mind. So thank you from me for that, but also thank you for coming on and sharing um, what you've been through, what you've learned and where you're going with, so many people who will be listening to this and will be moved by your story. And I I speak for every single one of them when I say we wish you the very best of success with um, your continuing um, treatment. I really hope that it works out well for you, man. And uh, make sure you keep in touch.
5: Thanks very much, Jake. It's been a pleasure.
2: So there you go. Look, I know that 80% of the people listening to High Performance found it for the first time in 2022. So this is the first time you've listened to this. At the start of 2023, please go into the back catalogue. Have a look at some of the incredible people that we've spoken to because they will be and can be a real game changer for you. Let me know what you think of this conversation with Ryland. Don't forget, it makes a huge difference to us. If you can subscribe to this podcast or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, it means we can grow high performance to the point where the biggest names on the planet want to come and have a conversation with us. Thank you so much for coming and listening. Remember, there is no secret. It is all there for you. So chase world-class basics. Don't get high on your own supply. Remain humble, curious, and empathetic. And we'll see you soon.